I mean, can I use it? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so, so Milwaukee is, um, as John may have uh, told you, a very important city. The Brookings Institute called it a skilled anchor city for all of the Midwest. So economically, Milwaukee has a very high level of importance because of high education levels. A third of all adults have a four-year degree uh, because of the successful transition to a service economy. Uh, because it has the economy in Milwaukee has the second highest percentage of manufacturing in its economy uh, in the United States, of major cities in the United States. And so there's a lot about Milwaukee that is very hopeful and good. There are also some bad things. Um, uh, segregation is often Milwaukee is listed number one or number two as the most segregated city in the nation. Um, and there's, of course, deep poverty. Um, BlackCommentator.com called Milwaukee the worst city in the nation to raise a family in if you're black. So there are many things that need to happen there. And in fact, the thing that I'm most concerned about is the 500,000 people that have no religious affiliation at all. There's about three or 400,000 other in the city of Milwaukee that are most of them Christian, but some Muslim, some Buddhist, some Hindu. And so uh, it's a city that is in great need of the gospel. And in the area where uh, Sherry and I are going to be planting, uh, it's near Brewers Hill. There's a belt that goes from Brewers Hill along I-94 and up into River West. And that belt, uh, we've kind of named it the, uh, the Brewers Hill Belt. And, um, and it has very little evangelical church presence there. I think there's one storefront church in that area of tens of thousands of people. And so we're going to plant right in the middle of that. And we'd appreciate your prayer in that. It's a place with some high crime. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions about how we're going to go about that, then uh, I can talk about that later. But... Yeah, please do. Go on your way. Talk to Dan after church. He'll be around. And uh, yeah, can I pray for you, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for uh, just uh, Dan's call and his family's call to come uh, back here to Wisconsin, where he grew up, and uh, specifically Milwaukee. And we think about that city, Lord, a city that uh, has some deep, deep wounds. And God, we pray that uh, through a church, uh, through the power of your spirit, that we would see people come to know you through Dan and his family and uh, through a church planted there, Brewers Hill. And uh, God be with us this morning as uh, Dan brings the word. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Our passage this morning is Luke 10. It's uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, the mercy that the Good Samaritan showed. And uh, before we uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our time together, I just want to go through a little bit of uh, uh, setting the stage, so to speak. Um, what I'm going to be talking today about is how a heart of mercy leads to the touch of mercy. The heart of mercy leads to mercy's touch. And um, I think this is fairly easily illustrated, even in the Trinity. 
You have the Father who chose us in Christ. You have the Son who purchased us. And you have the Holy Spirit who comforts us and strengthens us. So, every single one of those acts is an act of mercy that comes from a heart of mercy, a heart of love. Jesus, in particular, uh, he's, he's the ultimate example of mercy, isn't he? You have uh, Jesus showing mercy to the leper and the sick and even the dead, even though in the culture of first century uh, Israel, you weren't supposed to touch many sick people, any lepers, or anyone who's dead, or you'd become unclean, you'd become defiled. Jesus did it anyway when he healed them. He talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, rabbis don't talk to women. Rabbis don't talk with children, yet he welcomed the children. He illustrates mercy to those who in that culture were not considered worthy to speak to a rabbi. Uh, born in a stable, we're going to be celebrating Christmas pretty soon. Buried, continuing under the power of death for a time. God Almighty doing that for us, an act of mercy. He became sin for us, Scripture tells us. So his life was filled with acts of mercy on behalf of undeserving people. His life was filled with acts of mercy for undeserving people. And touching messy people is often difficult. And uh, just to give you an idea, uh, in Milwaukee, I'm just going to read you a quick excerpt from this book called Living in the Shadows of Milwaukee, written by a homeless woman who was on the streets and was taken into a Christian home for about six months, restored and has her own home now and is an author and is a student at UW-Milwaukee. And uh, she writes about her experiences on the street. She's now a believer, by the way, but at the time she was not. So I, I apologize uh, if anyone is offended by references to beer or anything like that. But uh, it's her story. She says, I will not name any names in this chapter. I'm in no way making fun of anybody. I just see the humorous things in life because if I don't keep laughing, I'll never stop crying. I'll start with the beauty queen. You can tell that she comes from money. She left an abusive relationship along with her home, car, boat, money, and clothes. She takes care of herself and has a great sense of humor. She tries to keep everybody's spirits up. You can't help but like her. I call her the beauty queen because every time she sees me, she waves to me like a beauty queen. Then there's this lady I know who will walk by, push my crutches down, not when I'm on them, and walk away. Or sometimes she walks up, takes the cigarette out of my mouth, and walks away with it. But if I'm hungry, she will feed me. She'll share her last beer with me. If I happen to be drinking that day, I don't drink much. Or she'll give me a cigarette if I feel like I need one. There's an elderly woman that I eat breakfast with in the morning. She wears bright, mismatched clothes. She has a personality to match. She's always cheerful and smiling. She loves everybody. Her dream is to buy a roustabout car, as she puts it, and travel all over the country eating at different soup kitchens. 
She then wants to be a food critic for them and publish the results in the local newspaper wherever she's at. I know a lady that when you have to approach her, you have to do it cautiously every time. Either she loves you or she will cuss you out. Sometimes she starts out loving you and then she'll cuss you out all of a sudden. She is always drunk. She's usually a happy drunk. She just keeps saying, I love you. I love you. In response to everything you say to her. She'll share a few cans of beer, a little vodka, and some cigarettes. And then she'll tell you to get on your hustle and get your own. I hate to say that she often walks around with a black eye because someone has taken her money from her. It goes on in this book. I'd highly recommend it. I don't have any copies with me, but I'd highly recommend it because it talks about the situation in Milwaukee for the homeless. A group of people very much in need of mercy. And oftentimes when you hear stories like this, you have thoughts like, well, you know, maybe they deserved it. You know, they made their bed, let them lie in it. Or uh, something along these lines. And I am so gratified to know that as a church, you are participating in the Thanksgiving dinner. Because this is showing Christ's mercy. This is what it is. And I believe that we must be about this mission and more. So, so let's turn together and read a story of mercy for this lawyer who is coming before Jesus in Luke 10, verses 25. And I'll read through the end here. Verse 25. Behold, the lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance... There was a priest going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. 
And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, teach us from this passage your heart of mercy. Teach us to understand it. Teach us to see how we fall short so often and see how we can succeed in you, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The two questions of the lawyer are, number one, how can I be saved? Pretty basic question, right? But then he asks the second question, who is my neighbor? How can I be saved? Who is my neighbor? The, the first question, how can I be saved, is really a question about mercy. It's, it's actually a question about the very heart of mercy. Because of what Jesus does for us. In response, uh, Jesus tells what we call the story of the Good Samaritan. And if we look at that story, we can think of that story as the touch of mercy. The heart of mercy, the touch of mercy. The question is, how are we to respond to the heart of mercy? And how are we to respond to the touch of mercy that Christ came and touched us with? So let's start with the heart of mercy. And this is actually not really hard stuff to understand intellectually. Where it, where it hits me is here, right? Because I begin to see, as I study this, how far I fall short of this. Notice that the lawyer comes to Jesus asking this question, to which the lawyer already knew the answer. Right? Which is why Jesus said, you know the law, right? It's a common question, actually. That, that question, how can a man be saved, was a common question asked of rabbis. It was kind of one of those shibboleth questions, a question that you can kind of know where someone stands. If you answer this one, then I know where you stand. Like, like if I was saying to somebody, do you believe Jesus is Lord? That would be a, a standard question that would tell me, is this person... You know, somebody who loves the Lord or is this person who does? And it would be a, a first indicator of that. Well, that's what this question was. And the answer, of course, is uh, that he gives is called the Shema, number one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That was a common uh, thing for, for a Jewish person to repeat as a memorized uh, statement of the law of God, a memorized summary. Secondly, in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, verse 18, actually, you don't have to turn there, where it says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So both of these are pieces from the law brought together by this teacher of the law, this lawyer, uh, in order to answer the question. And Jesus, of course, says, Yes, that's how you're saved. Does that bother anybody? Does that bother you? I'm saved by grace. Right? Keep in mind as we go through this passage that you are saved by works. 
but it's the work of Christ, not yours. Right? It is the payment of Christ for your sin that takes away the punishment. It is the work of Christ on your behalf that he did while he was here on earth. That, you're, that is attributed to you so that you might live in his righteousness. So you are saved by works. But it's Christ's work. But Jesus is saying, but there's an application here. So Jesus, Jesus' answer is love-based and it's due-based. What Jesus is saying is that when you become mine and you receive a heart of mercy, you are transformed by that so that you also have this touch of mercy. The heart of mercy is transformational. That's what the work that the Holy Spirit does within you. So you are saved by faith, but faith is not dead. It brings to life those who were once dead in trespass and sin. Mercy from God is a life-giving, life-altering, life-changing thing. In fact, if you have this life-changing, life-altering mercy applied to you, you will change. And Scripture says, examine yourself. Enjoy the change. Continue to change. Let God change you. Let God transform your heart into a heart of mercy. A kind of heart of mercy that rolls out into that touch of mercy. Faith alone by grace alone. That's mercy. Notice that the lawyer gets the right answer, but did you notice that he gets it with the wrong heart? If you, if you examine what he says there, who is my neighbor? His second question. What's he doing? The guy is looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way to get out of it. Okay, well, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Uh, well, give me a better definition of who a neighbor is so I can you know, attack this in an easier fashion, maybe a little bit more methodical. But, but let me say that that transformation in you caused by Christ that creates a heart of mercy is not a heart of mercy that seeks for self-justification. It's not a heart of mercy that says, I'm good enough. It's a heart of mercy that says, I'm not good enough. I have to rely on the mercy of Christ as I persevere. As this heart change is happening in me, I'm dependent on the merciful one who came to me. Now, there are people that most in that time didn't want to touch, whether it be lepers or the dead or, or the sick or children, but, or pan, uh, uh, Samaritans, actually. The Jews weren't to touch Samaritans. They were outcasts in the society. Or in our, in our time now, you know, we don't seek to go touch and get involved in the lives of panhandlers or, or homeless drunks. The kind of friends that Laura, the author of this book, called her family. We don't want to touch those people. We don't want to touch those who might be involved in homosexuality. 
or those oftentimes who are lost and they just don't look like they'd be good people to associate with. I might be embarrassed. That's my heart. I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. So Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and if you look in verse 30, you'll find out that the man in the story who's uh, laying in the street has been both beaten and robbed. Uh, this guy is laying in the road half dead. Everything taken away from him. I don't, know, I don't even know if he had much of his clothing left with him. He's probably fairly well beaten up. This particular road between uh, Jerusalem and, uh, and where they were is, uh, was a road known for bandits. It's not a safe way to go. But, uh, but this man had nothing left but the image of God stamped on him. That was all that was left. So, who had a heart of mercy willing to touch this man? Not the priest. The priest that walked by didn't touch him. Now, in my mind, I think of excuses of why the priest wouldn't do that. You know, it might, you know, at first I thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, he didn't want to become defiled or unclean if, uh, you know, the priest would be responsible for the sacrifices. So he's responsible for the, the men. You know, he's going to be the, the guy who says, you know, give me your sacrifice place that blood sacrifice on the altar, slay it, and if you do it right, then you can have uh, a forgiveness of sins. Right? So he doesn't want to get defiled, but I think he was actually leaving Jerusalem. So that's probably not the explanation, although a lot of people have said that. Maybe he was just afraid. Maybe, maybe he just didn't want to put himself at risk. It could be. The text isn't clear about that. What we know is he didn't have enough of a heart of mercy to stop and see what was going on. He walked by, like many of us might. You know, somebody stalled on the side of the highway, and you look, oh, it looks shady, I'm going to keep going. You probably had that experience yourself. I don't know, there's somebody laying on a park bench somewhere. This happens in Milwaukee all the time. I don't know about Appleton. But you might have somebody laying on a park bench there. And I say, yeah, I don't want to help. That's just going to be too much. I would not have a heart of mercy at that point. This priest did not have a heart of mercy. The Levite that came later did not have a heart of mercy. Didn't stop. The Levite is all about having things be orderly. All about the temple and everything that, that the Lord commanded for the temple to be. And and he didn't have a heart of mercy in the story. In order to walk by this man without helping, you have to be able to justify in your head that it's okay to do that. He's not worthy for my time. He made his bed. Let him lie in it. There's all kinds of excuses run through my head. Maybe run through your head as well when you see someone who needs mercy. And who is this Samaritan that comes along? Well, the Samaritans were from the northern rebellious kingdom. Um, they, 
intermarried with other nations, which they weren't supposed to do. So their parents were all Israelites who had sinned and then intermarried in, in, in opposition to what God had asked the nation of Israel to do. Um, they, that had introduced idolatry into the, into the nation of, of Israel and the northern, the northern nation. They worshipped at Mount Gerizim, not at Jerusalem. Mount Gerizim was their place where they wanted to worship. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They wouldn't accept the prophets. And so um, they had some bad theology, you'd say, right? I mean, it would be like the equivalent of if I were to talk uh, about uh, going to Utah. And that, there were the Mormons there, and... And I know they've got bad theology, and they're they're not on track at all, right? Mormonism is I consider to be cultic. Well, wouldn't it be interesting if this was in our day, if Jesus was telling the story of the good Mormon? I'm sure you know many good Mormons, right? I mean, if we're really honest, or the good J.W. Right? So, so Jesus is rocking this guy's world. Jesus is talking about help coming from a place not expected. No one would expect a Samaritan to stop for a Jewish man beaten in the street. But he does. Moved with compassion. This guy had a heart of mercy. I don't know how he got a heart of mercy. But verse 33 says he was moved with compassion. And what does he do in verse 34? He touches the man, right? He's got to touch in order to do all this stuff. He binds up his wounds. He's pouring oil and wine into the wounds, which would have sterilized it. It would have been first century medication for somebody who had gotten beaten. Uh, Carried him to an inn, lifted him up on his animal, carried him into the, the inn, cared for him, Paid for his lodging. And he promised to come back. That's a heart of mercy. He doesn't know this man. Does this man deserve his help? No. But he gets it. And he gets it in a very detailed level in this story that Jesus tells. Jesus is being detailed bound up the wounds, healed him, gave him medicine to heal him, carried him to an end, cared for him, paid for his debts, promised to come back. This parable forces me to ask the question, do I really have, does my heart of mercy really lead to that touch of mercy? Does it? I feel this. Because I don't always do this. I screw up in this area. You know, I I was preaching once in uh, Missouri, and uh, and I, I, I had an illustration about being nice to the, those guys on the corner that have the I need a dollar. No, I don't have any work. Will, you know, will you give me a dollar? I need a bus ticket. You know, and this you know. So I I preached the sermon. We got in the car. I went to see my son. 
And on the way, there's a guy on the side that had the, I need a dollar. I just need a dollar so we can get the bus ticket. And my family, who had just heard this sermon that I preached, said, Dad, look, he needs money. You know, my first reaction was, ah, he's just trying to scam people. In other words, I justified passing by this guy because in my mind, he was not worthy. Well, guess what? Neither am I. But Jesus laid down everything to come to a stable for this unworthy sinner. Because his heart of mercy leads to that touch of mercy. This is hard for me. If I'm not living that Living out that heart of mercy, how can I claim to be His? How can any of us claim to be His if we're not living, if we're not imitating? I mean, what does Jesus say in this passage? Go and do likewise. This is the way I want you to be. And we're not. Even after preaching a sermon about it, I'm not. Yeah, we turned around, by the way. (laughs) Egged on by the family, we turned around and we gave the guy some cash to help him out. Was he worthy of that cash? You know, that's, that's up to God. I had to actually trust God that the money that I gave in obedience to Him would have an effect for the kingdom. When you think of Laura Marsh's homeless friends on the street, Laura who wrote the book, it's easy to try to justify by saying, I don't want to get involved. You know, like, like the Levite and the priest when they just didn't want to see. They might have glanced, didn't want to see it. Or there might be danger. I don't want to put myself in danger, so I'm not going to stop. Or I'm late for church. I just don't have the time to get involved. Or, or you know, if I help this person and let them know who I am, like Laura the Christian family that found Laura took her into their home for six months. And the wife said to her husband, I know this is the case, we're going to wake up in the morning and everything will be gone. Because she'll just take everything and leave in the middle of the night. She didn't. She became dear friends of the couple And they're still helping her to this day. Does your heart of mercy lead to the touch of mercy? I want to point something out to you about the mercy of God for us and about how Jesus illustrates that in this parable. Because look for a minute in verse, it's in verse 36. Jesus says, who is the neighbor to that beaten man? Who is the neighbor? The Samaritan, right? The neighbor was the Samaritan. And the lawyer's question up in verse 29 is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Why does Jesus answer the question, the Samaritan is the neighbor? 
Jesus puts the lawyer in the position of the man in the street. The lawyer is in the street needing help. Why? Because as a lawyer, what is he trying to do in first century Judaism? Earn his way to heaven. What is Jesus doing when he says you've answered right? Do this and you'll be saved. Can he do it? No. Is he doing it? He's looking for loopholes. What is the law doing to this man? The law is beating him up. It's knocked him half dead into the street, dead in his trespasses and sins. Jesus puts him right in the middle of the street. And I realized that that beaten man laying in the street is me. It's me and it's you. We have nothing to say for ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. There is nothing we can do to be saved. Wounded, sick, diseased, and given up for death. But Jesus came and touched us. Each one of us as we place our faith in Him. Not because of anything we did, but because He has a heart of mercy and He loves us. He loves us. He touches us with His mercy. He binds our wounds. He heals us with His stripes. He preserves us and the security of His will to keep us. He puts us in a safe place. He pays the price. And He promises to come back. Just like the Samaritan in the story. I believe that Jesus, what Jesus is saying to this lawyer is prophetic. He's giving a picture of what will happen with the kingdom. That the kingdom will be filled with people who behave as Jesus does towards us. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming hearts by His Holy Spirit. He changes us. Not just in here, but here with our hands in what we do. As we love Him, we go and do likewise as He did for us. So we do go to our neighbor. We touch, we heal, we help. Not because we need to work for our salvation, but because Jesus did this for me. And He tells me to do it also. Jesus asks us to imitate Him. Have a heart of mercy that leads to the touch of mercy. I think for me in the last couple of months, this has been illustrated so powerfully as I talk with people on the streets in downtown Milwaukee in our target area. And Sherry and I have gone to just meet people and strike up conversations. And, and I think about the lostness 
and I think about the pain as we talk about what does Milwaukee need and the pain over crime and the pain over segregation and the pain over materialism, the pain over poverty, not having enough to eat. I think of that thief on the cross next to Jesus. Do you remember what he said? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. What a simple confession. What a simple, straightforward confession. It patterns the confession of, of faith that we see in Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I would urge you today, you may have been attending for a long time. I know pastors who have made a first confession because somehow it didn't click all that time. And I know you've been under great teaching. But listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. If you have never declared Jesus as your Lord, if you have never put your faith in His resurrection, then do it today. And talk with Dan or talk with one of the other elders here about it. Confess it with your mouth. Praise be to God for His Word. Amen. Where are His words? Here is the sacrifice to us.